because any time it comes to making changes in our life, um, momentum is a huge thing. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning as we begin this new series that I am excited about. Holy habits. We can talk about prayer. Um, and the purpose of the series, I'll just be up front, the purpose of the series is to help us get refocused or maybe focused uh, on some basic spiritual disciplines that will help us in our walk with God. And although uh, we tend to treat these uh, disciplines as optional, in reality, they're really not. The, these are things that uh, are crucial, are necessary uh, to our success in fulfilling what God has called us to do. And these are things that no matter where we're at in our walk with God, we, we can always uh, use some improvement. doesn't matter if you've been walking with God for two days or 20 years. These things we're going to be talking about are things that we all at times struggle to be more intentional about and consistent with. So, um, that's what we're going to be doing in this series. And, 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 and honestly, I'm going to let you know up front, these are things that you probably, most of you already know you should be doing, you should be better at, uh, but they're just, they're things that are kind of hard to get a struggle, or, uh, struggle with and get a handle on on a consistent basis, all right? Uh, the what part is easy, all right? The what part is easy. We know what we need to do. We know we should be praying more. We know should be, we should be reading our Bible more. We know we should be... Uh, percentage givers. We know that we should tithe, right? We know we should use our gifts for God in service at the, at the, in the local church. Uh, so um, the what is the easy part, all right? It's easy to say I want to have a happy marriage. I, I want to be, uh, be a better mom or a better dad, right? Knowing how to have a happy marriage, knowing how to be a better mom or a better dad, that, that's a different story. And so that's kind of what the purpose of this series is. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to do some of these things, how to be more uh, intentional about and consistent in these spiritual disciplines. So, as we begin Holy Habits, right out of the chute, the very first topic, as Kyle says, we're going to talk about prayer. How can we become more intentional about and more consistent in our prayer life? When it comes to spiritual life and serving God, I doubt that there is any topic that's talked about more and done less <laughs> than prayer. And, I, and, I, and I'm not talking about those social media references. Uh, and and you know, look, I'm not... I'm sure that that serves to get people praying, and that's good, okay? But you know as well as I do, uh, you know, responding to a social media, uh, Facebook, you know, please be repent, please be praying about this, you know, and so then someone puts the praying hands there, you know, and praying, you know, praying, and, and that's good, and, and hopefully you do pray. But, but we're talking about, if that is the extent of your praying, uh, that's not gonna cut it. I'm just saying, there's, number one, uh, that's strictly petition. Okay, that's like a one-way street. That's like you always doing the asking, all right? But prayer also includes meditation, which is not us talking to God, but God talking back to us. And I think that's where we kind of drop the ball and we need to be a little bit more intentional and consistent with, right? So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about prayer. And again, when we talk about prayer, we're talking about a personal, intentional connection with God, where where. He has our undivided attention, and we have his undivided attention, all right? All right, uh, I want to begin by uh, reading a verse in Luke chapter 11. Uh, actually, a couple of verses in Luke, Luke 11, and then uh, the other one's in Luke 18. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from that passage beyond the significant Lord's Prayer that follows it. Uh, for one, we learn that what sparked the unnamed disciples' curiosity to learn about prayer was, was the fact that he saw Jesus in prayer. 
We also learn that John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, right? We also learn that this was something that apparently caught at least one of the disciples' attention, and we're not told who it was. But isn't it interesting that out of all the disciples, only one of them, only one of them asked Jesus to teach them to pray. I sometimes wonder if that's not kind of reflective of a similar situation in the church today regarding prayer. We talk about prayer, we study prayer, we say our prayers, but how many of us have ever actually asked Jesus, teach us to pray? Anyone ever prayed that prayer? I never thought about that before. Lord, teach us to pray. And we don't have the time to go through the the Lord's Prayer because that would obviously be a good place to start. But I do find it interesting that only one of the disciples really said, you know what, was interested enough to say, Lord, teach us how to do this, right? So, Luke 11, Jesus addresses the how of, of prayer. A few chapters later in Luke 18, Jesus addresses the when of prayer. Luke 18, 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now here Luke tells us, and, and this is really interesting because Luke actually tells us up front the purpose of the parable. I, I haven't researched it, but I'm pretty sure that that's something that, that, that Jesus didn't make a habit of. He usually told the parable and then explained it at the end. But here it's interesting. He, he says what the meaning of the parable is up front before he tells the parable, and it's interesting that it's on the topic of, pair, of prayer. Ah, so, question. Why would Jesus tell us to pray always? Because that's what he says here. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Why would Jesus tell us to always pray if prayer didn't work? That's a, you know, that's a fair question. Right? If prayer didn't change things, why would Jesus tell us to not just pray, but always pray? Right? And not only did Jesus tell us to always pray, he told us, now don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in the course of our praying. Why? Because he knows that's what we'll do. Right? He knows, he created us. He knows that's a temptation for us that we, we tend to lose heart in the course of our praying. Right? So, question. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have ever lost heart or got discouraged when praying about something? Everybody has. And be honest, how many of you quit praying for that? Sure. I mean, because, you know, we're here after a while, it's like, well, you know, either, either we, 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 we don't maybe intend to do it, but it's like, you know, well, we don't see any activity going on, so you just kind of forget about it after a while, right? But the Bible is very clear about the fact that God wants us to always pray and not get discouraged when we pray. But why did Jesus pray? Why did Jesus, have you thought about that? He was God, right? He was the Son of God. When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the, the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, you read about that there's a number of occasions where he would withdraw from the disciples, from his closest followers, and go and spend some time alone with the Father in prayer. Sometimes it was at night, sometimes it was early in the morning, but it's very clear from the scriptures that prayer was a, a, a priority for Jesus. But why? He, he's Jesus, right? Why would, why would God, Son of God, need to pray? I was talking with someone one time, we were kind of talking about this, this very thing, it kind of came up. And this is what this person, his take on it is that Jesus prayed as an example for us. And I thought, well, you know, that, that sounds good. And, and I'm not saying it's not. But, but I don't think that that's the extent of, of why Jesus prayed. Now, he obviously was and still is an example to us. But look, Jesus didn't heal people because he was trying to be an example. He healed people because he had compassion for them and wanted to heal them, right? The reason Jesus prayed, and this might shock some of you, but the reason Jesus prayed 
was because sometimes he needed to. I got your attention now. Right? Sometimes, what? God, God needed to pray? Absolutely. Remember, he was God, but he was also man. And look, I don't know how all this works. No one knows how this works. How he kind of operated both in the human realm and at the divine level during the three and a half years that he ministered on this planet. But we do know that he was tempted in all things as we are tempted. That was the humanity part of him, right? The human part of him. So apparently, those times when he was operating at the human level, he needed to pray. Right? And that's what we know. He took time out of his busy schedule to get along with God in prayer. Jesus prayed because he was human. And so, as a human, Jesus needed the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As a human, Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit. As a human, listen, a human, as a human, Jesus needed to hear the voice of his Father. He needed to be, hear the voice of his Father. And the way he did these things were through times of scheduled and intentional prayer. In fact, one time Jesus was teaching, and when he got done, the people were complimenting him and basically telling him how great he was. You know, oh, man, you're so good, Jesus. And, and Jesus' response to them was this. He said, I only say what the Father tells me. Remember that? Hey, look, I only say what the Father tells me. Jesus clearly indicated that uh, this need that he had to hear from the Father, for the Father to speak to him. So, again, question, if Jesus saw a need to pray, if Jesus, who was like this close with Father God, right, you know, part of the Trinity, if he saw a need to pray, you suppose that perhaps maybe that we might need to pray? Occasionally? Every now and then? It's more times than when we see the someone posting on Facebook, hey, pray about this, right? So, before we look at these steps for connecting with God on a more regular basis through prayer, I want to first briefly address why we don't pray more. I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why we don't pray more. First, complacency. Complacency. These are, these are things you already know, by the way. Uh, do you realize that in this great nation of ours, we have had laws passed, judges appointed, and officials elected because uh, the church didn't pray? I've got your attention now, don't I? I'm serious. You think about this. It's amazing how people will get involved on at the grassroots level in, in, in election years, and that's good. You've got to have those people that go around, knock on doors, and put signs in yards and so forth. But if the church would embrace election years in a way that it would begin and, and, and embrace that need to pray, pray over the election. That's what the Bible says that. Pray for those in authority. Pray for government leaders, rulers, those that are serve as your public servants, right? I wonder, I really wonder how different some of these elections might have looked had the church prayed more, right? We get complacent when it comes to prayer. We get complacent because, well, we just don't see the connection between us praying and what goes on in Washington, right? We just don't see the connection there. After all, abortion doesn't really affect me. Right? Taking prayer out of the schools doesn't really affect me. Taking the Ten Commandments out of a courthouse down in Alabama somewhere doesn't really affect me. You know, why do I need to pray about that kind of thing? But let a potentially dangerous situation arise or a natural disaster threaten, and all of a sudden, man, we're believers. We believe in the power of prayer then, right? Uh, last weekend, KU's basketball team played out in... Uh, Played Stanford out in uh, Palo Alto, California. Apparently on the way back, uh, one of the engines, they had already taken off, and uh, half hour into the flight, one of the engines caught on fire. 
one of the coaches or someone actually put a picture of it on Twitter. Uh, but it's amazing how some of the basketball players, all of a sudden, they were praying. Mitch Lightfoot looked up his, because I follow him on, on Twitter. All of a sudden, these guys are praying. Yeah, I mean, you know, capital letters, praying. You know, praying hand emojis, you know, just all over the place, all over, you're blowing up Twitter, right? Isn't it amazing how a potential threat like that, all of a sudden, we believe in prayer, don't we? Right? Natural disasters have a way of kind of snapping us out of prayer or potential situations like that. Uh, in fact, this is interesting, but if you recall back in 2005 when Hurricane Katrina came, they apparently underestimated its power and it ended up being uh, not only a Category 5 hurricane, but also the most damaging hurricane in the United States, in the history of the United States. $108 billion. $108 billion damage Katrina did, right? But watch this. Less than a month after Katrina, the National Weather Service issued a hurricane warning for Rita. Okay? Again, less than a month later. But because of what happened with Katrina and the oil refinery destruction and oil prices spiking, all of a sudden America started praying. Right? America started praying. And guess what happened to Rita? Rita ended up being only a Category 3 hurricane, totally changed her direction, and the total damage was only $12 billion. So you ask people down the Gulf, does, does prayer work? Well, it saved them $96 billion. Was the motive right? Probably not. Is our motive always right when we pray? Probably not. Does God still answer? In his grace and mercy, sometimes he does. Actually, he always answers. He always answers. By the way, I think I've told this for you. Know, there's basically four answers to prayer. You know what they are? Yes, no, maybe, and you've got to be kidding. I can see God saying that to us sometimes. Are you kidding? Seriously? You're asking for that? Really? You want me to do that? Right? So, uh, one reason we're not more intentional about and consistent in our prayer life is complacency. Another reason is unbelief. We don't really believe anything will happen if we do pray. Or it's like we can believe for some things, you know, we can believe God to bring in $800 for a new set of tires, maybe, that we need. But man, you got to, you know, pray for someone that's got inoperable cancer. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have the faith, so we, you know, we don't pray about that. Why? Well, I mean, you know, the, the command is to pray. Well, why wouldn't you pray if God told you to pray? Why, why wouldn't you pray? Which God did tell you to pray. Well, what if God doesn't answer the prayer? You know, then, then I'll look foolish. But what if he does? Think about that. What if he does? What a testimony. What a testimony. So unbelief is another reason we don't pray. Discouragement, we kind of talked about that. Sometimes we just get discouraged, we quit praying. right? So having looked at at some reasons why we don't pray, now let's look at a couple of reasons why we should pray or should pray more. And these two reasons, I'm going to mention a couple of them, uh, they kind of tie into God's attributes. Now the interesting thing about these two reasons, why we should pray, is how the enemy has actually taken these two reasons why we should pray and twisted our under, some people's understanding of them and used that as reasons why we shouldn't pray. Let, let, let me explain. Uh, one of these attributes of God and a reason why we should pray is God's sovereignty. Now, sovereignty is just like a, a $20, $20 sounding word that means God is supreme ruler. God is large and in charge. That's what, that's what God's sovereignty means. He controls the universe, you know, which is true. But the enemy has twisted some people's understanding of this attribute of God in a way that says, look, since God's sovereign, he's going to do what he wants anyway. So why, why do you need to pray? Well, we don't need to pray. God is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants anyway. Right? 
this kind of ties into that uh, Calvinistic you know, theology, predestination, and that kind of thing in a way. But seriously, that's, the enemy has taken that attribute of God, which is really a reason why we should pray, and I'll show you that in just a second, and twisted it to where people say, ah, you know, God's sovereign, he's going to do what he wants anyway. Someone even told me one time, but pastor, didn't Jesus say when teaching the disciples how to pray? All right, this is in response to the question, Lord, teach us to pray, or, you know, to that uh, request. In Matthew 6, 8, he says, our father knows our need even before we ask. Remember when he said that? Okay. All right. Uh, but note, look closely at that again. It does say that. But it says, he, he, he didn't say your father knows what you need, so don't ask. He didn't say that, right? He said, your father knows what you need before you ask, implying that you still need to ask. Why? I don't know. Ask him. I'm just saying, you can't, it is intellectually dishonest to look at that and say, well, we don't need to pray. No, look at it closely. Even though he knows, but we still need to ask. God's sovereignty doesn't mean his will is going to happen no matter what. And I'll show you why. The word will... The word will means desire. So when talking about God's will, we're essentially talking about God's desire, right? If you leave a will, a a, a last will and testament when you die, what you're saying is, my desire for what remains of my estate, all $12.73 of it, will be evenly divided among our five kids. Okay? And I already did the math. That's $2.55 per person, per, per kid, right? But seriously, the word will means desire. Chuck Smith, uh, he's gone to be with the Lord now, pastor in Calvary Chapel out in Costa Mesa, California, said this one time I heard on, on the radio, prayer does not change the purpose of God, but prayer does change the action of God. And I'm going to kind of unpack that a little bit as we go through these next couple of steps, because this is important for us to understand. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.9, he says that, he tells us that God's will is that no one should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of him, Right? You haven't heard that verse. It's God, it's not God's will that anyone perish, but that everyone come to a saving knowledge of Him. Alright, uh, now, question. Is everyone gonna repent and accept Jesus? I mean, that'd be great, but it ain't gonna happen. Well, if that's God's desire and He's sovereign, then why won't it happen? Why won't everyone just repent and turn to Jesus if that's what God's will is? Because in, now watch this, in God's sovereignty, in his supreme supreme rulership, he has a will. And, watch this now, he created us in his image, and part of the thumbprint of God on our lives is our will. He created us with that will, the freedom to choose. God has a will, and we have a will. Now, this is important for us to understand when it comes to prayer. We need to know that it is... It is, you need to know that it is your desire, your will, that determines how far you're going to go in your relationship with God. That's true. It's your will, it's your desire that's going to determine how much you're going to get from God. It's your will, it's your desire that determines how much you'll grow spiritually. It's your will and your desire that determines how obedient or disobedient your children are. Okay? It's your will and desire that determines how many people that you'll lead to the Lord. Or if our neighbors get saved. Lord, if it's your will, please save my neighbor. It's God's will. He's waiting for your will to get up out of the recliner and go next door and talk to your neighbor. That's what God's waiting on. 
So God's sovereignty, his supreme rulership over the universe doesn't take away our responsibility to pray over the matters of our life. Just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's a slam dunk to happen. God has a wonderful and exciting plan for our lives. But we determine, listen, we determine whether or not the plan's worked out. It's not going to happen in spite of ourselves. You know, there's actually a story in the Old Testament that, that kind of sort, sort of helps explain how this whole thing works and why we're responsible to pray even if we know it's already God's will. It's found in Jeremiah 32, 8, uh, 8 through 11. And, and as we read this, actually 8 through 15, I think. And as we read this, you're going to, well, let's just go ahead and read it. Let's, uh, then Hanamel, this is Jeremiah 32. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, but my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed copy, excuse me, the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions, and the open copy. Notice, sealed deed of purchase and the open copy. Okay, this is a true story of a real estate transaction that took place about 2,500, 2,600 years ago. All right? And God made sure that this got recorded in the Bible. Why? Well, for this sermon right here, if for no other reason. Okay? Because I'm going to show you why this is why we, I read this story. Because some of you are like, where in the world? What does this have to do with praying and that kind of thing? Right? Well, here's what... Uh, we don't know for sure, but probably what happened was Jeremiah's father probably passed away. Sometime shortly after that, an uncle purchased the land from Jeremiah's mother. Okay, But Jeremiah, as the son, the heir, still had the right of inheritance, which simply meant that when, when the uncle who had purchased the land passed away, the land would not go to the uncle's son, but would come back to Jeremiah. You see that? Okay? Don't lose me. All right? The original, Jeremiah was the original heir. Jeremiah had the right of inheritance, but he also had the right of redemption, which simply meant that Jeremiah had the right to purchase uh, the land back if he wanted to. But please note that there were two deeds. There's two deeds here mentioned in this story. There was an open deed and a sealed deed. The sealed deed was for the family that originally owned the land. If my family owned some land uh, in, in, in that culture, okay, there would have been a sealed deed with the name right on it, okay, written on it. If at some point in time, let's say my great-great-great-grandfather decided to sell the land, then there would have been another deed drawn up with that name put on it. And that would be the copy, the open deed. But the sealed deed would still be there that I would have, my family would have possession of, right? Okay. Having the sealed deed would always give me or my family the right to purchase the land back at any time. The open deed was open so they could write the new owner's name on it because if someone bought it and then a few later someone else bought it and then someone else bought it, doesn't matter how many times it was bought and sold. The right family name was on this sealed deed. Okay, now here's why I share this otherwise insignificant, obscure story about a real estate transaction, right? A couple thousand years ago. God owns the earth. Okay? Psalm 24 1. All right? It says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But back in the book of Genesis, we're told that after creation, the Lord gave dominion or possession of the earth to Adam. All right? So this year, you, you know, rule over it, okay? And God blessed them. This is in Genesis 1.20. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and, and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. All right? In other words, God gave Adam possession of this planet. But see, here's my take on this. I believe God gave Adam the open deed, okay, the open deed to planet earth. God made a copy of the original deed that has the name of his heir on it. Don't lose me. Who's, who's, who's God's heir? Jesus, right? The son, right? God gave Adam the open deed to this planet, but what happened? He lost it. He and Eve blew it, and when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam lost possession of this inheritance, uh, this planet, and Satan's name was put on that open deed at that point. Okay? Now, we know this, because when Satan confronted Jesus, remember this? When Satan confronted Jesus out in the wilderness, after spending 40 days in fasting and prayer, and then Satan comes to him and begins to tempt him. Remember the last of those temptations that he threw at Jesus. Matthew 4 tells us that Satan took Jesus to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and said, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan could not have offered that unless he owned it. Right? So apparently he owned it. Apparently Satan didn't know about the sealed deed. Jesus' name was already on the sealed deed. Right? And Jesus, as the heir of the son, already had the right to purchase it back. And that's exactly what happened on a hill outside of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ exercised his right to buy back what was what originally belonged to him in the first place. And if that sounds far-fetched to you, let me read you a couple of verses from John's Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, it says that John saw in the, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who's that talking about? Jesus has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals Many Bible, this isn't just me, many Bible scholars believe that that could be the sealed deed to this planet Earth. Alright? But here's what God wants us to understand when it comes to our prayer life. He's already given us dominion over the Earth. He's given us freedom to choose and to live our lives in a way that would honor Him and be a blessing to us. He's given you the ability to pray with the promise and assurance that when we pray, He'll move, He'll answer our prayers. Just like He gave stewardship of the Earth to Adam, so also has God given us the stewardship of our life. He gave the stewardship of your family to you if you're married. Okay? He gave the stewardship of your finances to you. In other words, you determine whether or not you're going to walk in God's blessings and provision. He's shown us how, but it's up to us to decide to do so. John Wesley, how many Methodist background we have here? Any Methodist background? Okay. John Wesley made a statement one time that created quite a stir, and you'll, you'll see why when I say this. He said, God does nothing on this planet except an answer to prayer. We don't like to hear that, do we? Why? Because that puts it back on us. Right? I'm telling you, folks, that's God chose to do. In deference, he said, well, God's God. He'll do what he wants. No, no, no. In deference, in honor to his son who shed his blood and died to redeem this planet. No, he chose. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything except an answer. To, to, to accept in response to prayer in honor of his son, right? Now, chew on that for a while, okay? 
That'll make for some interesting discussion around the dinner table, right? So, God gave Adam stewardship of this planet to manage, so also has God given you your life to manage. God has made us stewards of our lives and all that encompasses. And a huge part of that management includes the time that we spend with him in prayer. Look, if you want your kids to serve God, you need to pray, right? If you want God to heal you, then you need to pray. The reason the sovereignty of God is a reason to pray is because, well, first of all, God's will isn't going to happen no matter what. But another reason we should pray is because God is sovereign. As the supreme ruler over this planet and over the universe, he deserves our prayer. When we pray, listen, when we pray, we're talking to the supreme ruler over this universe. One time God told Elijah he was going to send some rain on the earth. Now, Elijah could have said, oh, well, God said it's going to rain, so I guess it's going to rain. I'll just sit here and wait for the rain. But he didn't. He continued, because this is after, like, I think it was a two-year drought or something like that. But God said, I'm going to send rain. But listen, Elijah didn't just rest on that. Okay, well, I'm waiting. No, he continued to pray even after God told him he was going to. Not only, he says he prayed seven times. Isn't that interesting? God said it's going to rain, but Elijah still continued to pray. Why? Apparently he knows something. Right? Elijah was sharp enough, spiritually, in tune enough to know that the way to get God to follow through with what he said he would do is by praying. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach us to pray, one of the things Jesus said that they needed to pray was, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, God's will, God's desire is to bless us, watch over us, our family, but you need to be praying about these things as well, even though we know it's already God's will. One pastor put it this way, prayer is the pipeline between earth and heaven, and the more we pray, the bigger that pipeline becomes. The attribute of God's sovereignty is one reason that we need to pray. The other reason that I want us to look at is another attribute and another very expensive-sounding theological word, God's immutability. God's what? It's like we use that word a lot. When was the last time you used immutable? This might be the first and last time you ever see it or hear it. But let me tell you what immutability is, all right? This is simply referring to the fact that God doesn't change. God doesn't change, right? That nature of God is in Malachi 3, 6, for, the, for I, the Lord, do not change. That's what he says. Just like the universal rule of God is one of his attributes, so also is the fact that he doesn't change. And just like the devil twists God's sovereignty in a way that confuses people, so also does Satan twist our understanding of God's immutability and the fact that he doesn't change in a way that we misunderstand it. And the way he does it is here. It's like that, hey, God doesn't change, so why pray? Look, if God doesn't change, why pray? Right? But what we need to understand is God's unchanging nature doesn't apply to his mind. He can't change his character because he's perfect. And if he were to change, that would mean he wasn't perfect. Okay? So God can't change his character because he can never get more perfect. But does God ever change his mind? Exodus 32, 14. And the Lord relented, changed his mind. That that's, means changed his mind from the disaster that he, look at this, he had spoken of bringing on his people. So here we see that there was a time when God changed his mind. He clearly stated that he would bring judgment on his people as a consequence of their disobedience, yet he didn't. Why? He said he was going to do this, and then he didn't. Why? Well, let's back up a few verses. Uh, Exodus 32, 9 to 12. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I might make a great nation of you. 
But Moses, watch this, implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Do you see that? God said he was going to do something. Moses prayed, said, don't do it. And guess what? God didn't do it. I mean, that's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, well, that was Moses. Come on. Come on. Right? Honestly, throughout the Bible, time and time again, we see instances where people who knew God, I mean really knew God, were able to get God to change his mind or get God to move. How? Prayer. And they knew this. Remember, remember Jonah? God, God said, hey, I want you to go uh, to Nineveh and tell them that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah didn't want to go. And that's why he went and he ended up, you know, the rest of the story. But do you remember why he didn't want to go? Do you remember why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh when God said, go tell them that I'm going to destroy them? Because he, he said, no, God, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go there, and if they repent, you're not going to judge them. In other words, he knew God would change his mind, right? How about, uh, well, the, the reason we need to get this, here, here's why. If we don't understand this, this, this part of our responsibility, all right, then we won't be inclined to pray. And it's amazing how we want God to do stuff in our lives, but we seldom ask him to do it. All right? So we know we need to be intentional about and consistent in our prayer life, but how do we do that? I mean, what are some of the steps that we can take to begin doing this? When it comes to establishing holy habits or even breaking bad habits, either way, it all comes down to our perspective. Norman Vincent Peale, those are some of you older people remember that name, all right? the power of positive thinking. He said one time, change your thoughts and change your world. I think he got that idea from the Apostle Paul, who said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans 12 too. The first step to establishing these holy habits is to change the way you think. So how do we change the way we think? We do it by changing our focus. And starting today, all right, this morning, let's begin to focus on a couple of things. Number one, let's stay focused on the long-term goal. When you start making these changes, whether it's prayer, or we're going to talk about Bible reading next week, we're going to be talking about tithing and giving, uh, we're going to be talking about using your, your gifts and talents for the Lord in, in the local church, serving, those kind of things, right? If you want to make these changes, you have to stay focused on a long-term goal. You have to see your life in terms of goals and what you're wanting to accomplish over the long haul, rather than just an immediate temporary solution, Okay? Have you noticed, hey, how many of you noticed how busy uh, Genesis, Planet Fitness, uh, Orange there? How many of you notice how busy those places are right now? Yeah, we, we, we make that Panera pickup up there in Olathe at the hospital exit there at that strip mall where, uh, where that Panera store is, and there's that orange therapy. And so we pull up there, and we, you know, we pick up at 9 o'clock because we have to be there when they close. We look up, and man, there's like tons of cars. And it's like we, we go up there all the time. We've never seen that many. What's going on over there? So when we leave, we drive by there, sure enough. That orange therapy is packed, people on treadmills, right? Well, we'll see how packed it is here in about three or four weeks. Right? You know how this works, right? You've got to stay the course because, look, this is our spiritual health that's at, that's at risk here. This isn't our physical health, That'd be, but this is our spiritual health, right? So stay focused on the long-term goal. Second, stay focused on progress, not just perfection. See, one of the quickest ways, and you know this, one of the quickest ways to become de- uh, defeated and discouraged when it comes to making lasting changes in our life is we become too demanding of ourselves. And we end up getting discouraged. And when we get discouraged, 
we want to give up, right? I uh, was talking with uh, one of our daughters-in-law, Amanda, one time, and she she's done Weight Watchers for uh, a few years now. In fact, she's done it longer than anyone I think ever, that I've known that's ever done that. But she was talking. We were talking about this very thing about how you know we'll slip up, and then it's like once we slip up, ah, pfft, you know, might as well just go ahead. And, 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 and so uh, she said that uh, something through Weight Watchers kind of used this illustration. That'd be like, that'd be like you get a, if you get, uh, you know, a dozen eggs and then you accidentally, well, I guess I might as well just go ahead and, I should have got a paper towel there. <laughs> but did you see how stupid that is? But that's what we do. We think, uh, you know, and so, uh, this was, uh, we were talking about this on our way back from Oklahoma when we went down to visit Sue's folks. So um, we're, uh, we're eating at a Whataburger just in North Oklahoma City, and this conversation's going on, you know. So anyway, a little bit later, you know, they, they went on a, a little bit different direction. They went to Guthrie. We went on up. We were coming back up here. We stopped in uh, El Dorado, and, uh, and uh, we were going to stop at an Ace Hardware to see what after Christmas specials they've had because we picked up some specials there last year. But anyway, so we're, we get off at El Dorado, and there's a bronze there. And see, God knows. God knows that I'm weak. So this is God's. God could have put some barricades up there. God could have closed that exit to El Dorado. But he didn't. And so this is God's fault. But anyway, so so we get off and we go past this Brahms. We go to Ace Hardware. And then we're coming back to get on the interstate. I just, I just. And I went and got me a, uh, I, I got me a uh, hot fudge sundae with extra hot fudge. And, 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 and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to Amanda. And I said, I broke all the rest of the eggs. <laughs> she said, no, if you would have, you, if you would have broke the, you would have gotten a banana split. You just got the single dip hot fudge sundae. Right? Anyway, so, um, but you know how this works, right? If you want to create lasting change in your life, then you need to build it into a daily routine, into actions that will generate that type of change. And do those things consistently day after day after day. And right now, the thing we're talking about is prayer. Look, if you take a, a close look at your life right now, you'll see that your life today is the result of your daily routine over the last few months, right? Look, if you gained 50 pounds, it's not because you ate a 50-pound piece of pizza. That's because you, your lifestyle puts you in a situation where that happened to you. you, you just, you make, does this make sense? You understand how this works, right? We do. We just don't like to hear it, right? We know what we need to do. If you want to create lasting change in your life, you need to build into your life daily routines that will generate that type of thing. So I'm going to conclude by giving you real quick three very practical guidelines to help you as you jumpstart your prayer line. Okay? Uh, but before I give you those three guidelines, I want to make a statement that I read once that has helped me tremendously in my approach to prayer. And, and you know, I, I have on my bookshelves and packed away in storage bins in our basement probably a couple dozen books or more on the subject of prayer. I've attended numerous seminars on the subject and have listened to countless, countless sermons about it. But do you know how I learned to pray? I'm going to tell you how I learned to pray. I learned to pray by praying. That's how you learn to pray. By praying. Okay? Now, yeah, I mean, there's some resources that you can look at, you know, on the topic of prayer. But probably the most practical advice I ever got on this was you learn to pray by praying. Just start doing it. Right? 
I think you'll find this true in, in your own life. You know, you can come to church, you can listen to sermon after sermon after sermon on prayer, you can even listen to Caleb all week and, and hear Bible teachers and preachers far better than me talk about the topic of prayer. But man, unless you start doing it, it'll never become part of your life. Okay? So, real quick, I, you, you learn to pray by doing it. Now, three practical guidelines to help get you back on track, and I'll have the worship team come up now. Number one, begin where you are. Just begin where you are. Don't try to clean your life up. Don't try to make yourself worthy to be heard in prayer, right? It doesn't work that way. That's getting the cart before the horse, right? Now, the part about cleaning up our life, that's necessary, but we let God do that. If you wait till you get your life cleaned up to the point you feel comfortable coming before God, it ain't never going to happen, right? When your life isn't where it should be, the first step toward getting things back on track is prayer. So that's what you need to do. Begin right where you are. Number two, be absolutely honest with God in your prayers. Be absolutely honest with God in your prayers. In the, uh, I thought of this because of Christmas vacation, but in the, the uh, movie, uh, regular movie vacation, Chevy Chase, right? Uh, they got grandma up on the, up on the, <laughs> up on the roof on the, the rocking chair, the, the family truckster, right? So, uh, they, she ends up, passing away, right? So uh, the, the Ellen Griswold, all right, she decides to say a prayer, you know, for, for Aunt Edna. Now, e- even though everyone disliked Aunt Edna, right, it's interesting because uh, listen, listen, listen to the prayer that she, she, she talked, I don't know if it's word for word, but she said something like, uh, Dear Lord, Aunt Edna was such a dear, sweet woman whom we love with all our hearts and we'll miss her terribly and so on. And, and it's, it's, it's so funny because that's kind of how we, you know, everyone hated her. But yet when it comes to prayer, all of a sudden we get holy. Right? No, look, God already knows. God already knows. Right? I think uh, I think you might be shocked by some of the brutal honesty of some of the prayers that are recorded in the Bible. I mean, these great men of God. For example, Jeremiah once prayed, Oh Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and I prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Can you imagine daring to say such a thing to Almighty God? Lord, you lied to me. A lot of examples in the book. Psalm 73, David cries out, In vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Can you imagine saying something like that to God? David saying, Lord, I've been good. And it's been a total waste of effort. How about Job? Talk about brutal honesty. When Job went through his time of, of trials in which he lost everything, his family, his fortune, his health, he cried out to God. He says, the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. God's tears are marshaled against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before anyone saw. In other words, Job is just like raw, brutally honest with God. And that's okay. That's really okay. God's okay with that. Because you know what? He knows anyway. Don't come to God with any pretense like everything's all right. No. That's probably why you're coming to him because everything's not all right. Right? He knows. The strength of this kind of prayer, this this brutally honest and open, it's not only in its honesty, but its tenacity. Even if your prayers are full of misconceptions, self-pity, bad theology, As long as you're crying out to God, 
He can reach you. He can help you get to where you need to be. Amen. C.S. Lewis said that when we pray, we should lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. In other words, he's saying that we should be absolutely honest with God when we come before him. Developing a prayer lifestyle requires that we begin right now, right this minute, right where we're at. It requires that we be absolutely open and honest with God in our prayers. And the third thing is something that I hinted at earlier, uh, this tenacity. We need to continue the conversation all day long. What? See, this goes hand in hand with Jesus' instructions to pray always, like he said in Luke 18.1, or the Apostle Paul's instructions to pray without ceasing. We read comments like that and say, how does anyone even do that? I mean, you know, we got jobs to go to. You know, we got basketball games to take kids to and grocery shopping. How does anyone pray always? Can anyone even do that? Right? Well, what we need to understand is that prayer is not so much an activity or event as it is an attitude of the heart. Prayer is an attitude, like, like in my marriage. My marriage is not defined by specific events and those times of verbal communication with, with Sue. A good marriage is being aware of my wife's presence all the time, whether or not she's around me or not. Sue's influence on my life is part of every moment of my existence. Likewise, Jesus walked, breathed, and acted in the presence of God's will. How many of you have seen Fiddler on the Roof? Have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? In that story, the main character, Tevia, has an ongoing conversation with God. He doesn't pray fancy prayers. He just talks to God. And that's a good example for us to follow. We need to develop the habit of talking to God all day long. I mean, he's right there with you anyway. Why ignore him? You can't spend the day in ceaseless prayer if your concept is, this is what prayer is. Sometimes it is that. When you go to your prayer closet and get quiet, sometimes you can take that posture. But you can pray without having to do this. It's just that awareness of his presence with you. And that's what Paul meant when he said pray without ceasing. And that's what Jesus meant when he said pray always. There's no trick to developing a prayer life unless you consider opening your mouth and letting words come out a trick. Or unless you consider directing your thoughts to God to be a trick. To be a trick. The key to developing a prayer lifestyle is simple. You learn to pray by praying. If you want to develop a prayer life, begin today, right where you're at. Be absolutely honest about what's going on in your life so that He can do His work in you, so that He can purify your heart, cleanse your motives, remove your sinful attitudes, and keep the door of communication open. Keep that conversation going on all day long. That's the pray without ceasing. Let's all stand. This is how I'm feeling this. This is how I'm feeling this. This is how I. This is how I'm feeling this. This is how I'm feeling this. This is how I'm feeling
Establish a relationship, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to do that now. It's just simply a matter of acknowledging that uh, you're not where you need to be with God. Acknowledging that, owning up to the fact that, you know, yeah, you're a sinner, but we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Just sinners saved by grace. So if you want to get right with God, if you know that that's something you need to do, then I just want to lead you in a prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I do acknowledge that uh, I'm not where I should be with you. I pray, Father, that you would forgive me for my selfish lifestyle, for living my life for myself. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, come and live inside of me, inside my heart. And from this day forward, help me to begin to live my life for you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now. If you prayed that prayer, uh, what I'd like for you to do, either uh, tell someone, tell me, tell someone next to you, or one of those cards that Kyle had mentioned earlier in the back of the chair, there's a place on there you can check them off. It says that I prayed to receive Jesus. And if you would, and the reason I'm asking you to do this, and the only reason I'm asking you to do this, because we want to help you on your next step. If you made that that step there, then there's more steps that you need to take. And so we want to help you do that. So if you put that on the card, check that box, I prayed to receive Jesus, drop it off at that next steps desk out there then we can follow up and give you resources to help you in a relationship with God for everyone else uh, you know what to do we know we should pray more uh, we know we should pray more so Lord help us uh, going forward as we seek to make these changes in our life help us Lord to uh, begin to look to you be more intentional about connecting with you and not be so one sided which just all petition but actually taking the time to, first of all, yeah, you're okay with us taking petitions to you and asking you, but you also have some things to say to us that you want us to hear. And we're not going to be able to hear if we're always asking. So help us, Father, to be able to learn to incorporate meditation as a part of our prayer. It's okay to come to you with petitions, but also take some time to listen for your voice. And if we'll do that, you will speak to us. We know that you'll do that. So help us, Father, going forward. Help us, Father, to be people of prayer. And as we do that, and as you honor that, may it be an encouragement to us to continue to pray. We thank you, Father. Thank you for that privilege that we can come to you through Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Go with the Lord.